I'm going to read the text for us, and then Paul come up and pray, and uh, we will hear from God's word. So the scripture reading tonight is from John chapter 4, John's gospel chapter 4. If you have a Bible, you can take it out and open it up. It's also projected on the wall here. John chapter 4, I'm going to read verses 1 through 26, and then skip to verse 39 and read that to conclude. So hear God's word for you tonight, friends. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman from Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty forever. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming. When neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Now down to verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. Good evening. It's good to be here with you tonight. It's a privilege to preach for Luke. Luke is filled in for us down at Southside Community Church while we were looking for a new pastor. And the first time I heard this guy preach, I thought to myself, there is no way he grew up Presbyterian. The boy can bring it. And I appreciate that. And he ministers to me and I'm Glad that uh, I'm able to be here and minister to you tonight by God's Spirit and through His Word. So let's pray together. 
Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for the privilege of being in your house with your people. We ask now, Lord, as we come to your holy word, that by your spirit you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to comprehend just how deep and wide and high and everlasting your grace and goodness is. We ask, Father, that you would draw us ever closer to your Son. We ask that if there be anyone here tonight that does not know Jesus as Savior, that, Father, you would do what only you can do, that you would raise the dead. We ask it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. This spring, I've been taking our college students through a series called Encountering Jesus. And what we've been doing is we've been looking at places in the New Testament where Jesus deals with individuals. And this study has been very good for me. I hope it's been as good for them as it has been for me. But it has been a wonderful study for me to be in the Gospels examining Jesus as he purposefully seeks after particular individuals. There's several things that stand out to me as I study the Gospels and view Jesus and his encounters with individuals. The first thing that stands out to me is this, that Jesus sought after the needy. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you like needy people? (laughs) Not one hand, Luke. You got some work to do, brother. Jesus sought after the powerless. He sought after the weak. The powerful and the strong sought after Jesus. But Jesus sought after the powerless, the disenfranchised, those that society had cast aside. The powerful sought after Jesus. Jesus sought after the powerless. Nicodemus sought after Jesus. But Jesus sought after the woman at the well. The other thing that I've noticed is this, that Jesus does not treat us in a generic way. Jesus treats us as individuals. He loves us as individuals and he treats us as individuals. Remember in John chapter 3 when Nicodemus came under the cover of night. And I think Nicodemus had good intention. I think Nicodemus was coming to Jesus to try to straighten this young man out. He knew that God was with him. And he knew that Jesus was doing many wonderful things, but he wanted Jesus to be able to get along with the upper echelons just a little bit better. He wanted to promote Jesus. He wanted to show Jesus the ropes to help him get along with the religious leaders. That's my imagination. That's what I think. So he comes under the cover of darkness and Jesus receives him. Do you notice how Jesus interacts with Nicodemus? In this instance, Jesus is the master scholar. He's intellectual. He interacts with Nicodemus on deep spiritual, on a deep spiritual level that 
according to Jesus, Nicodemus should have understood. He rebukes Nicodemus. He reproves Nicodemus. He challenges Nicodemus. He sends Nicodemus away into the night, having totally turned Nicodemus' world upside down. But notice how Jesus deals with the Samaritan woman. He speaks plainly to her. He speaks in ways that she'll understand. He is kind. He is gracious. He is patient. He takes his time in helping her come along. Jesus deals with us as individuals. And I thank him for that tonight. I thank God that he knows me. He knows my strengths and he knows my weaknesses. And he knows how to get my attention. Has God ever gotten your attention? Have you ever been going along in life and and thinking that this day was going to be like every other day? Nothing out of the ordinary. And then God shows up. That's what happens to this woman. John tells us that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Jesus was in Judea. And his reputation was growing and the Pharisees were getting up in arms. And so Jesus decided to go back down to Galilee. And John says that he had to go through Samaria. Now, let's, let me tell you what John doesn't mean. John does not mean that Jesus had to go through Samaria to get to Galilee because that was the only path that he had. That's not what John means. For in John's day and in Jesus' day... Most of the Jews, if not all of them, would go out of their way to the east across the Jordan, adding much trouble to their trip, much time, just so that they could avoid the Samaritans. But Jesus had to go through Samaria. The Jews had to go around Samaria, but Jesus had to go through Samaria. The Jews hated the Samaritans I'm not exaggerating. They hated them. They viewed the Samaritans as half-breeds. Samaritans were part Jewish who had married into a Gentile, uh, who had Gentile blood as well. Their history goes all the way back to the Assyrians. You can read about it in the Old Testament. And the Jews viewed them as half-breeds. They would, they had a saying They would say, may it never be that I have to lay eyes on a Samaritan. They refused to eat in Samaritan's restaurants because they did not want to defile themselves before God. Now, do you know what you call that? What do you call that, Clay? What Clay just said, pure, unadulterated. Well, I added that. But he said racism. Racism is as old as Genesis chapter 2. And we're always going to deal with it. And as the church, we ought to be out in front because Jesus was. Jesus had to go through Samaria because none of his disciples, he wouldn't allow it, none of his disciples was ever going to look at the image of God and look down their nose at him. Jesus had to go through Samaria Because he hated racism. 
And racism has no part in the kingdom of God. Jesus went through Samaria to show his disciples, his very Jewish disciples, that these people belong to me as much as you do. And in Christ's church, there is no room for racism or bigotry. It's not allowed in the kingdom of God. It's not tolerated in the kingdom of God. In fact, John says to us in another place, if you claim to love God who you can't see, but you hate your brother who you can see, you're a liar and the truth of God is not in us, is not in you. There is no room for racism. Jesus had to go through Samaria because he had to question and to come up against the status quo of his day. There was no country club membership for Jesus. If you belong to a country club, take Jesus with you. That way he can be a member now. Jesus had to go through Samaria. Why else did he have to go? Why did he have to go through Samaria? To confront the racism, to confront the sexism of his day. You know, Jewish men would pray. (laughs) Now, ladies, you think your husband is a bigot. Maybe you don't. But you think he's a little uh, wound a little tight. The Jewish men would pray, God of all, creator of the universe, I bless you for you have not made me a Gentile, a Samaritan, a Gentile, a slave, or I'll give you one guess. That's where Christianity comes from. Man, God takes some screwed up, messed up people, doesn't he? And he's still doing it. They prayed that. They wouldn't even stop and speak to a woman uh, in public. Now, women, you can see how far our ignorance as men go back. It goes all the way back to Jesus' day. We wouldn't want to talk to the smarter sex in public. They wouldn't speak to a woman in public. But in Jesus' ministry and in Jesus' kingdom and in the kingdom of God and in the family of God, the image of God is never treated that way. In Jesus' ministry, he had great respect for women. Women played an integral role in his ministry. They were the first evangelists. Do you remember? Mary at the tomb, go and tell the others, I have risen. He would never tolerate or allow his disciples to look at a woman or to treat her as a mere object of pleasure to enjoy and then toss aside. He had to go through Samaria to confront the racism, to confront the sexism. And he had to go through Samaria because there was a desperate, lost woman that he loved. A societal outcast, a reject, a woman of ill repute, a woman with a bad reputation, with no hope of ever really recovering from what she had done. But Jesus went after her. 
if you read the Bible very long, you'll catch this theme that God loves the broken, the outcast, and those who are without hope. In fact, most of God's kingdom is made up of those people. God does save rich people. God does save powerful people. God does save influential people, but not many. So, if you're rich tonight, if you're powerful, if you're influential, you ought to praise God even louder. Because Jesus went out of his way to meet with this woman, but he really went out of his way to meet with you. Jesus loves the broken, the downcast, and he loved this woman to the point that he had to, under divine appointment, meet with her. And I love this. Jesus was there by divine appointment. This woman was about to have a kairos moment, a moment in time set up by God specifically for her to meet with the master And she had no idea it was coming. God was setting her up. Jesus, we're told, comes to Jacob's well. And I love the imagery here, Luke. Because Jesus is a well, is the well, (laughs) sitting by a well. What that well was in a physical sense, Jesus is in a spiritual sense. Jesus sat by Jacob's well. Oh, the imagery, I love it. Who was Jacob? He was a scoundrel (laughs) that God saved, but he became Israel. And who's who's sitting on top of Israel's well? But the true Israel's well himself. And Jesus sits down because he's weary from the journey. My, that amazes me. Does that amaze you? Think of who he is. He's God incarnate. He's God in the flesh. He's Jehovah Jireh. He's Jehovah Nisi. He's Jehovah Sitkanu. He's Adonai. He's Elohim. He is I am that I am. He is the one who created all things and nothing was made apart from him. He holds all things together by his mighty word. In him dwells the fullness of God. And Jesus had to sit down and rest. You know why that I get really excited about that? This is why. Because I don't have a high priest who's unable to, to identify with my weakness. But I've got a high priest who was made like me in every way, yet without sin. He knows my weakness, he knows my unbelief, and he still loves me. And Jesus sat down by the well and he waited. Aren't you glad God will wait for you? Aren't you glad God's patient? Aren't you glad that it's his goodness and his love that leads us to repentance? And here comes the Samaritan woman. Now put yourself in her shoes for just a minute. 
Can you imagine what she's thinking? John has told us it's the sixth hour. Now, some commentators will tell you that means it's 6 p.m. Well, that's, that was Roman times. I think John was on the Jewish clock here. It was the sixth hour. Their day begins at 6 a.m. It was 12 p.m. Jesus was weary. He, it was hot. He sat down. And here comes this woman carrying water pots by herself. Now, I can assure you that just like in our day, in Jesus' day, women like to get together and gossip. Come on, ladies, you know that's true. Women enjoyed being together. They did their work together. In the morning, they would go to the well to draw in the cool of the morning. But this woman was coming by herself at the hottest part of the day. Why? Because she was tired. She was tired of the whispers. She was tired of the accusations. She was tired of the gossip. She was tired of her reputation being brought up. She was tired of being ignored at the well. So she says to herself, I imagine, I don't have to deal with that. I'll isolate myself. I'll be alone. I'll be an island unto myself. I'm tough. I'm strong. I don't need them. I'll go it alone. But no one saw, they may have seen the tough exterior, but no one saw her at night when it was dark and she would lay down. No one saw the tears that would stream out of her eyes and hit her pillow from the pain that she carried. That is no one but God. And so Jesus is waiting for her. And I can, I wonder what she must have thought when she saw Jesus. Oh, here we go. I've got to deal with another man. I've had five husbands. I'm living with a knucklehead now. And I want it to be alone. And I've got to deal with not just a man, he's a Jew. And look how Jesus condescends and humbles himself. He condescends. He owns the water. He made the water. And he asks this Samaritan for a drink. Would you give me a drink? And the Samaritan woman sees an opportunity. She has been kicked around by men. She's been, I imagine, if you've had five husbands, you don't have a good track record. She is probably an idol in her life was looking for love in all the wrong places and all the wrong relationships. Will you love me? No, you're not it. Will you meet my needs? You can't meet my needs. Will you satisfy me? No, not you. And she sees an opportunity to have a little fun. How is it that you, being a man, are you a man? You've got to ask a woman for water. How is it that you, being a man and a Jew, ask me for a drink? And Jesus is just setting her up the whole time. He says, Woman, if you knew who was speaking to you and the gift of God, you would ask of me. And I would give you living water. 
This gets her attention. How is it that you're going to, sir, how can you give me water? You have nothing to draw with. Are you greater? Are you greater than our father Jacob? She had no idea who she was talking to. But Jesus is patient. He's kind. He's slow to anger and he's rich in mercy. And he says, if you drink this water, you'll be thirsty again. But I'll give you water if you'll drink it. Springs of living water will well up in you. You see what Jesus is doing. He's done it many times in his ministry. He's moving from a physical principle to a spiritual principle. Just like we need physical water to live, every living organism needs water to live and to grow. So we need the cleansing waters that only the Spirit can bring. We need regeneration. We need to be made alive by the living water that Jesus gives. That's what he's talking about. And this woman may not fully understand yet, but he has touched a nerve. And you can tell that he's touched a nerve in her because he sa- she says, give me this water so that I don't have to come back here to this well. Or give me this water so I never have to draw water again. Give me this water so that I never have to come back and face my shame again, my reputation again. Give me this water. Can you identify with her? Can you identify? Is there anything in your life that you hope no one ever finds out about? And so Jesus loving her, wanting to redeem her, knowing that he's going to redeem her, has to do surgery. Jesus has to uncover the sin. He has to bring her to a place where she will confess and admit and repent. But he's gentle with her. He says, go call your husband. And her tone changes real quick. I have no husband. She wants to change the subject. I can't blame her. There's things God could bring up about me that would make me want to change the subject real quick. I have no husband. You've spoken correctly. You have five husbands. And the one you're living with now isn't your husband. Oh, I perceive you're you're a prophet. Isn't it amazing when people are caught red-handed? Church people. She had to have some church in her background because she was just too smooth with Jesus. When you you bring up, uh, brother, there's something in your life that's just not right. If he's really, if he is a, if he is a thoroughgoing church member, he can change the subject on you in a heartbeat and talk about religion all day and theology and reformed theology. And he can quote Calvin and Luther and she changes the subject. Oh, you're a prophet. Let's talk about religion. And she exposes her ignorance just like we do. Every time we try to change the subject on Jesus. 
Why do we try to change the subject on Jesus? When he comes to reveal the dark places of our hearts. When he comes to reveal the jealousy, the envy, the racism, the sexism, the lust, the anger, the confusion. He is the great physician. He is there to heal. Because we're like this woman. We'd rather live with our pain than have it exposed. Apart from the mercy of God, we'd rather live a broken life in our sin than be healed. This is what Jesus says. Woman, you don't know what you're talking about. The day is coming when you will neither worship in your temple, your makeshift temple that you've made, which is mixed with paganism, nor will the Jews worship in the temple in Jerusalem. But the day is coming where if you're going to worship God, you must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, there's debate about this among theologians, what Jesus meant by spirit. But this is what I believe, what he meant. Some commentators agree, some disagree. That if you're going to worship God the way God desires to be worshipped, his spirit must be in you. And if you're going to have God's spirit in you, you must drink the water that I give. Jesus deals with her idolatry of men, her idolatrous worship. And he says, if you desire to know God, you've got to come through the one, the only one who can grant you the spirit. And now the lights are starting to turn on. God is doing for her what she could never do for herself. He is beginning to give her understanding and she thinks, I imagine, could this be, is it possible that I'm speaking with the Messiah? And she says, I know when the Messiah comes, he will teach us and reveal the truth to us. And Jesus says to her, woman, I am he. And look at what happens to her at that moment. She drops her water pots. At that moment, I believe regeneration took place. God's spirit made her alive and she drops her water pots and she takes off running. Do you know what else she dropped? She didn't just drop those water pots. She dropped years of shame, years of condemnation, years of hiding, years of rejection, years of anger, Years of confusion, years of sin, years of living away from God. And she runs back into the city. And this is how I know she's converted. Because she immediately runs and starts telling people, come and see this man who revealed everything I ever did. Could it be the Messiah? I was preaching this at uh, McConnell State Penitentiary. And that prison is filled with men who know that society does not want to look at them and many people hate them 
and they hate themselves for what they've done. And I told them that what Jesus did for this woman, he will do for you today. First of all, he will save you from from your sin. And he will give you back the dignity that you have lost. You know what Jesus was telling this woman, among other things? You are somebody. You matter to God. You matter to me. I love getting to take that message to the penitentiary and tell them, looking at them, saying, you are somebody. You are the image of God. God loves you. And I told them that if God saves you, you ought to tell somebody else. I don't care if you don't have a reputation. I don't care if you stutter, you're cross-eyed, you're bow-legged. Go tell somebody what Jesus has done for you. That's what this woman does. She runs back. She's actually the first evangelist, I think, recorded in Scripture. And begins to tell the city. And they come out to Jesus. What an amazing story. What a beautiful picture of Christ's church. What will it be like if members of Christ's church have an encounter with Jesus like this woman did? Who come before Jesus not hiding anymore in our religiosity, not hiding behind our doctrine, not hiding behind everything we know, but just simply coming to Jesus as he comes to us and saying, you're right, you've caught me, I'm a mess, I'm broken. My marriage is a mess, though I work really hard to make it look like we've got it all together. My wife hates me. My wife doesn't hate me. (laughs) That was awkward. Sorry, babe. (laughs) My students are like, Paul, you are the best at creating awkward moments. I, I, I drink too much. I'm successful. I'm white collar. I belong to the country club. Jesus, I am a mess. I am desperate for you. And Jesus, see, he came to seek and to save those that are lost. He came not to, not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. He promises that all that the Father brings to him will come to him, and he won't lose any of them. He promises that if you will confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is who he says he is, he will save you from your sin. This is how free the gospel is. Jesus is stretched high on a uh, wide on a high Roman cross, and a thief who's been making fun of him turns to him, comes to his senses by the Spirit of God, and says, "Have mercy upon me, Jesus. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom." I think he was thinking a long way off. Remember me when your kingdom comes. And Jesus looks back at him and says, Today you'll be with me in paradise. That's grace. Luke's a great preacher, but he can't even begin to touch the depths of grace. The greatest preachers on earth, the greatest hymns on earth, can't begin to touch the depths of grace that God has for us. 
The only thing that is necessary in coming to Jesus is come just like you are. Drop the religious act. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. We all have work to do and we all need to be operated on. Now, this is my point. How many people are in here? It's more than what you told me were going to be here. This is a good amount of people for one year for a PCA church. This is great. What if we dropped the pretense? What if we dropped our our water buckets, our shame, our pride, our reputation? And we ran into San Antonio and said, come meet a man who has changed me. You wouldn't have room to contain the people. See, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's still the Savior, and He's still seeking to save those that are lost. And we get to participate in that. Does that excite you? That excites me. I'm so glad. I am so glad that Jesus loves broken people like me. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the stories that are written in the Gospels. We thank you, Jesus, that you that you came to seek and to save those that are lost. You love the Pharisee. You love the tax collector. You love the wealthy. You love the poor. You love the arrogant. And you love the humble. And wherever we fall in that, Lord, whatever our socioeconomic status may be, whatever, uh, wherever we fall on uh, in society, it doesn't matter to you. You invite all to come. So I pray, Father, that you would move in our hearts tonight, that we would come to you open and honest. And Jesus, that you would anoint us with your spirit to go into San Antonio and preach this good news. And just like many Samaritans who came out to you and heard Jesus, heard you and believed, I pray many, many people in San Antonio will come to Christ's church and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.